Welcome to the Big Beatles Sortout, a show in which I, author and musician Gary Abbott, attempt to finally decide my favourite Beatles recordings by scoring each and every one for lyrical content, musicality and production, assisted by my brother and resident Beatles expert, Paul Abbott. Each episode we explore and score five songs pulled at random from the Beatles' full recording catalogue. Thanks for joining us as we try and sort out the Beatles. Welcome to episode 22, and welcome to Will Make Me Feel Paul Wright Abbott. Oh, right. Uh, hello. Hello. Good evening. Good evening, uh, indeed. Thank you, fans. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, you can keep in touch with us at big underscore sort on Twitter and now Instagram, or by email to bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And uh, please drop us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, if you can, and please like and share our posts wherever you see them. That would be lovely. So, Paul, the 22nd of February for episode 22. Yes, 22 on 22. So, what was happening on this Beatles day? I have taken us back to the noisy scenes of 22nd of February 1964 when the Beatles land back at London Airport after their trip to America. Okay. Oh, yes. So, yeah, the big welcome home. Yeah, the Welcome Home Beatles thing, where it's just basically, you can't tell what's the sound of planes and it's what's the sound of people. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously, it's a phenomenal thing. They've come back from this first big experience in America together and had an amazing time, done all this strange stuff, being shuffled around on the trains, being filmed all the while, mm. all that stuff. But then they've had their time away in Miami for a few days in the sun. Uh, get back to London Airport for this greeting, which is phenomenal. And the great thing is there's all this newsreel footage of it. There's like a Pathé film and there's mm. footage from Grandstand, of all things, because Grandstand didn't just used to do the sports coverage, it would cover news things as okay. well in those days. So you've got footage of David Coleman interviewing them and reporting there as well. And yeah, so it's it's just it's an amazing time. They're clearly shattered because you always are when you fly back from America to the UK. Yeah. Let alone flying back from America to the UK, having just done all these dates and travelled around and had all that stuff going on. Yes. And yeah, but it it leads to, of course, they have a press conference, and it's a it's a good classic Beatles press conference. But it's a more not weary, but you can tell that they are sort of. I don't know if they're jet lagged particularly, but they they don't know where they are, what time it is really. As, you know, it yeah, could, understandably could be again. Breakfast or the middle of the night or whatever. I think there's at one point Ringo says we haven't got up yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's. I'm not going to go through all, all the bits and pieces that they say, but it's all available on, on YouTube in in different locations, including the full British Pathé newsreel thing. Okay, which is a great little slice of Beatles newsreel history. But yeah, reading transcriptions doesn't do it justice to what it's like watching the Beatles do these press conferences when they're doing the happy ones in the early days yeah. rather than the slightly more combative ones that come along in a couple of years' time. Cool. But yeah, because yeah, you read a transcription, you don't get the the physical humour of, of John pretending to do something or yeah. all the little asides or the looks that they give each other when you tell it's an in-joke or something. I just noted down a couple of ones that are worth mentioning. It's like, question... Did you have a chance to get away from anybody at any time on the trip? George says, yeah. Ringo stars. R Ringo stars? <laughs> Ringo, Ringo says, he got away from me twice. <laughs> now, written down, that's not weird. It, it's weird. It's not funny, yeah. particularly. But, but it, especially yeah. not with me saying Ringo stars in the middle of it. <laughs> like, it's become, <laughs> like it's become a verb. But, um, 
But when you see them talking about it, because they're not expecting it, and, and that little twice from Ringo is is a funny one. Yeah, I can imagine and then, it. Yeah, and then, like, question, what about the taste of the fans over there? Did you find the same stuff? Paul says, yeah, and John says, he never bit any. <laughs> and it sort of goes by without anyone commenting on it, except they give each other a little look and stuff. And, of course, what they talked to... Uh, Talked to Ringo about the the embassy ball where someone came up and snipped his hair with scissors. All right. You know, it's like some grown-up at this posh ball, does it? So, he says, uh, so it's David Coleman. He says, now, Ringo, I hear you were manhandled at the embassy ball. Is this right? Ringo says, not really. Someone just cut a bit of my hair, you see. And David Coleman says, let's have a look. You seem to have got plenty left. And, and Ringo makes a joke about it being, can't you tell the difference? Mm. And, yeah, so... So David Coleman says, what happened exactly? Ringo says, I don't know. I was just talking, having an interview, just like I am now. And I was talking away and I looked around and there's about 400 people just smiling. So, you know, what can you say? And John sort of goes, yeah, what can you say? And Ringo says, tomorrow never knows. Right. So years before the songs come along, That's... he's given, he's dropped the, tal- the album, the, the track title, yeah. Tomorrow Never Knows. It's a Ringoism. Okay. So that's a good point where you spot a, a you know a future track name and John laughs at him saying tomorrow never knows and it's like yeah it isn't a hard day's night a Ringoism as well yeah yeah yeah, yeah. cool oh well I mean, that um, some of that YouTube footage we'll have to link into the episode description. Um, yeah, it's very well, you know, it's been seen a lot, especially the British Pathé stuff, but it's worth hunting out the Grandstand interview because that's... Oh, no, we'll put that one up there. That's, yeah. that's, that's a really good one to, to watch. And if we and haven't uh, put that up and you're listening to this, then just hit us up on Twitter us, yeah. and we'll do it. Uh, and it's also, well, it's also interesting because it, cause it's Grandstand, he starts speaking to them about sport. <laughs> right. So they, they did meet like um, Cassius Clay... Mm. And talked about the Cassius Clay Sonny Liston fight, which was like a big fight that was going. That happened in America. But he starts asking them about Liverpool's chances. Yeah. The Beatles never gave us a damn yeah. about football, and uh, so they sort of bluff their way through that little bit. And it's not like they could have even really watched stuff whilst they, even if they, on the road. Then. Yeah, they, but well, Ringo says, "Well, we were in America." Yeah, <laughs> it's not exactly like they had the choice to uh, log on to digital. Um, great stuff. Yeah, well, we'll put the grandstand bits up and uh, have a watch of that. But yeah, I can imagine their cheeky chappy press conference. Jet-lagged faces. Yeah. Um, good stuff. Before we get started though, Paul, we have a listener question this week. This is from Tim Worthington, friend of the podcast oh. and um, the host of Looks Unfamiliar, a nostalgia cast. And it's a good episode. It sucks. Marvel podcast. Yes, I've I've been on both of those things. So you have. And Tim asks us, what do you make of three albums that were released more or less in competition with Sgt. Pepper, but get overshadowed by it? Are you experienced? The Piper at the Gates of Dawn and David Bowie. Hmm. Would you like to start, Paul? Yeah, well, it's a good question, because obviously you say 1967, people say Sgt. Pepper's, and hmm. it's not unreasonable that they say that, I don't think. Certainly, if you're a Beatles fan, you, you'd expect it more than anything. Yeah. Uh Tim's named three interesting, great albums there. I think my key difference is with Sgt. Pepper, you've had the Beatles doing early Beatles. People have been mm. following them for years. They've been expecting yeah. new things, especially with like Revolver and Rubber Soul and stuff. And then like they stop touring, they vanish into the studio and yeah. they come back out of it with Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. So what's, what's going to happen next? And it's Pepper. So the eyes of the world are on the Beatles. So it's no surprise that it overshadows sort of everything 
you know, not just in 1967, but for, you know, a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, so mm. the difference, yeah, this is part of the Beatles story. It's something new and exciting that everyone was waiting for. Whereas these three albums that Tim mentions are all debut albums. Yeah. So that's that's definitely got to, got to play into it. Yeah, it's a shame, really, if you're going to release your first album to have accidentally kind of recorded it and released it, or coincidentally, at the same time as one of the biggest albums ever to be yeah. released. And one of the most st- anticipated as well. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. But, I mean, they are amazing albums, because, like, yeah. Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix's experience? It's, I mean, that's really unlike Pepper. It's a big guitar album. Yes. But yeah. that's... that. I think that does it a bit of a disservice just imagining it's just a, a guitar album because it's a really really yeah. good album there's some amazing songs on it and I, yeah, yeah and it's got it's got it's got nuance and it's got um it's got variety in yeah. the way it uses its amazing guitar but it's probably not going to get as much airplay as the tracks yeah. off pepper anyway because of the type of material that it is it's quite aggressive and loud in comparison yeah. Although I reckon you could easily reorchestrate it and make it into an amazing soul record. That's one of mm. the things that struck me about some of the writing on it as well. Um, and also I reckon with that, with Are You Experienced, apparently there's, there's a difference in the track listing between the American and the UK version, which means that there's no definitive, you know, experience of Are yeah. You Experienced? You know, it's different where you are, unlike Pepper, which is a big chunk of it is what it is. Yeah. There was I no weird American version. Similarly with Bowie's, I think as that had things tagged onto it from the look of various playlists trying to find it, I think. Bits well, everything's released. been reissued, hasn't it? And then things yeah. get reissued with CD tracks. But yeah, so well, if we talk about uh, Bowie's album, David Bowie, which of course he's come off the back of Laughing Gnome, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's an amazing, it's like a comedy album, the first David yeah. Bowie album. It's full of it's like... Definitely, it's definitely um, uh, something that's almost feels geared towards children if not comedy or well you say that but then you think it's about children and there's quite a lot of songs about being a child and you know this children's experience and don't grow up but then there's songs about mass abortion and infanticide so Mm. it's in the middle of it and songs about people cross-dressing to get into the army and so you can see hints of what's going to come with bowie in the future yeah but it's it's a weird album it's almost too weird for the time his yeah, voice is, is weird, not not in a bad way. I mean, it's 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 Bowie's voice, yeah. But for the time and the way he does it, it's like a musical theatre record. He's yeah. like putting characters on, which of course he does. But it's yeah, it's um, and it's it's hard for the king of reinvention to reinvent your, your debut album, isn't it? You you had to have probably without knowing it at that point, you had to have that in order to come back. Yeah, it's, it's sort because of that's how fail. he works. Yeah. To in order to to figure out because he immediately then had to reinvent himself after a couple of years and yeah. come back with an album with the same title, but but quite a different thing, you know, a very yeah. forward looking thing. Whereas this is very much a slab of got a load of that Edwardian sixties psych stuff about it. It's mm. but he's got his voice is is weird, but it's so mature. It's like the voice that he carries with him all through his life. It's it's yeah. such an exceptionally odd thing but put it in context with laughing gnome and you just get it's it's sort of probably too weird to succeed and there we have a link because he's not the only gnome obsessed man is he (laughs) we have mr grimble crumble oh yeah well piper at the gates of dawn pink floyd's sort of 
debut. Well, it's the, it is the debut, but it's you know it's the debut literally in the sense. But it's they're being introduced as like the new experimental sound. So the record company's going, well, make the record you're going to make then, and we'll put it out as weird and experimental, which is mm. a nice sort of bold move. But it's very bold. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get Radio One playing, or you know, or, or any other things playing interstellar overdrive on the family choice sort of <laughs> no, for radio nine, for nine minutes no yeah. exactly yeah. or you know and the problem perhaps with piper is that they've had a single like she gets to number six see emily play which i love it's, it's again it's weird but it's got mm. a chorus that you can hook right. onto. nothing okay. on piper really does have that it's more of a, a listening experience in a different way yes which is obviously what comes to be sort of Floyd's thing as they go into the future and they carry some of that through after the, after Sid Barrett leaves and stuff like that. But yeah, again, I don't yeah, think... I, that, I was su- yeah. surprised how... Sorry, I'm doing... Talk, I, I, I just surprised how progressive... They, I didn't realise this was their debut until we, we, we started listening to answer this question. And um, I'm a fan of Floyd, but I haven't gone over their whole catalogue, so it's quite new on me, this one. And I'm surprised how fully... Are not fully formed. How experimental they were from the from the right from out the gates of yeah. dawn, you know. Um, well, but I just got can't Barrett, believe the yeah. <laughs> Sid Barrett guiding it the is a very different thing to it mm. being in the in the hands of Waters and Gilmore later. So, yeah, I mean they're all brilliant albums, but I just think, like I say, debuts. So they were never going to have the impact of no. people waiting for the biggest band in the world to release their next thing that they've been waiting for suddenly. They've not had yeah. Beatles product for ages, things like that. But I loved 1967. I just I did just make a note of some other albums from 67 I like as well. So um, things like you still got great albums by people like Aretha Franklin doing I Never Loved a, a Man the Way I Love You, which is a okay. fantastic record. But you've got Absolutely Free by the Mothers of Invention, if you okay. want weird, you know. Right. Uh, Gorilla by the Bonzos, one of my absolute favourites. And then you have things like Days of Future Past by the the Moody Blues. So the psych mm. stuff's all around the place. In in you know perhaps you've got Zappa being sarcastic about it. You've got the Bonzos being silly about it, and then you've got mm. the Moody's being um, Mellotron about it or something. <laughs> the Who sell out. That's a great sort of odd conceptual album in itself. And um, like even the Hollies are getting onto onto their really weird psych stuff at the time. So cool. Uh, Good year. It is. It's a very good year. But yeah, Tim's not wrong. Pepper overshadows everything. And that's even without looking at years of rock critics doing that to it. Yeah. So I guess through the lens of hit time, looking back on it, it overshadows everything. But imagine being, you wouldn't just have bought one album that year, would you? You imagine your next one after Pepper being, are you experienced and thinking, oh, what a, what a great year for thinking well what's this now yeah an interesting yeah, thing just one little note though is they're all london albums you know even hendrix is making this record in london yeah oh they're all different well some of them are different studios and different record labels but these are all records made in london the heart of yeah. that scene at that time so it's a great that's a great thing and yeah but if you're thinking that oh, are you experienced and piper and and the Bowie debut are overshadowed. Well, there's hundreds more that are even overshadowed by them. So, yeah, absolutely. Oh well, I hope that answers Tim's question to some extent. And let's get on with the random picks. And first up, we have I should have known better. I should have known better. 
I should have known better, Paul. Uh, you probably should have done at your age, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Anyway, ah, oh, random picks. I wonder if there'll be any themes popping up in this episode. Hmm. Mm, maybe. Uh, well, quite an early one. This is from the Hard Day's Night album, which released in July of 1964. This is recorded on the 25th and 26th of February 1964. And is great song off that record. Brilliant sequence in the film. And, yeah, 12-string guitar. Okay. Yeah. It's the first time for a little while we've heard a bit of harmonica going on. And and if you were doing this um in terms if you're doing this sequentially yeah. through the through the years, it'd be the last time you hear it for quite a bit. Oh, okay. You only you only hear it a couple more times after this. Right. Um it sits sits back on the beat a little, this one. It's predominantly acoustic, so you know, got an acoustic sensibility hasn't it as if i was yeah. yeah it's not massively electrified so it rattles along quite nicely it's a little rough around some of the edges there's a f- is it just me or does the actual opening harmonica line have a fluff in it well i'll well, tell you one thing that is a boring production note is the stereo and mono versions have a different amount of harmonica in that first section right so the in the mono version you have slightly more harmonica it doesn't stop and then start again. There's a stop in it, which sounds like it's either gone and just like and then stopped or is meant well, to be there and doesn't sound quite right. I don't know. Uh, I've never noticed it particularly. might be my ears. And the chord changes and bass don't match up at a few points. There's a there's a point where the guitar chord changes, the bass doesn't move. It happens more than once. So I'm guessing it was on purpose, but it always hits my ears when I'm listening to it. Um, but it has a lovely change into the B section. Um there with the love with the jangly guitar chords accompanying John's kind of dramatic minor chord bit, you know. Um, it's a lovely melody. It is, um, but there's not a great deal more to it musically. I think I like the trills on the harmonica. Oh, that's a nice bit of bit of work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna give it forty nine for music. Oh, oh, it's it's not that's not a it's not a bad score. Um, but I just I just think it's it's a nice song. You know, I don't know what else I'd pull out of it musically. To, a, to no, no, I think the the key feature here is is those little twelve string rings and the harmonica. Yeah, so. that's what I mean. Yeah, in that B section where they kind of do those big ring outs on the chords and stuff. And yeah, it's nice. So I'm going to move on to production. Um, yeah, I'm not so sure about this one. What do you think about the production on this one? Before I, I think it's fine. I think it's it's. There's not much to say about it, really. It's album track, but that's... The problem is when you say album track, it sounds like you're being dismissive. No, but you can't... Uh, every, everything can't be a masterpiece, can it? It just can't be. That's why I don't mind giving no. things 49, because it's like, well... <laughs> well, I mean, it's, well, I'll tell you what, it's worth noting. They, they record it on the 25th of February. They go back in on the 26th of February and remake it. Right, okay. Because, mainly because John's trying to play harmonica and sing at the same time. Okay. And so they decide, yeah, we better do what we've done before, an overdub right. harmonica. And... Yeah, the other thing that I like in the production is, as far as I can tell, and not everyone mentions this, and it's, I don't know, am I 80-20 on this, or sort of 75-25, that it's actually, it's not just John's strummed acoustic guitar, steel strung, I think George is playing a nylon strung acoustic alongside it, which gives it a particular quality to the acoustic guitar. Mm. So it's not just two steel strung acoustics or anything like that, or one. So I quite like that, because that gives it a certain sound that you don't hear on yeah. particularly much else. And but I just I just love the um, the 12 string guitar on it and the 12 string solo. Yeah. 
I mean, they're nice. They're nice. Um, uh, yeah, it's um, some of the same things I said about the music. There seem to, 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 to. I don't know. I think it feels a bit thin to me sometimes with this one a little bit. Oh. This <laughs> <laughs> well, is going to make for a rollicking episode. Of <laughs> I know. Time. I know. Well, it's 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 one of those. I've put down forty three for production and right on. And um, I just I, it doesn't have to do much. It and doesn't it, have so to it do doesn't. Much. No, I feel like it could have been a bit pacier, a bit more tacky. I don't know. It it got that harmonica in it. Could be a bit faster. It sits back a bit. I just think it it could have been better, but. Again, I I wouldn't swap it. I wouldn't um, not want to hear it on in the context mm. of the album because I, I really like the the song. It's another great song. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go into lyrics. So um, these are some lyrics straight out of the Magic Screaming Girl lyric bag. Um, mm. They're about some words. <laughs> Sorry, they're, they're they're not about some words. They are some words about love you, I do, hey hey hey. He also rhymes yeah. two with two in this and o with o. So they're not the best kind of um, ones, but um, yeah. they do that job again, don't they? Well, do you want to know what John thought of it? Did he think it was some old tat? He said, that's me, just a song. It doesn't mean a damn thing. No, I don't think it does this really. Um, no, he's writing a song for a band like that at that time that needs songs for an album. Yeah, most of these kind of songs with these kind of words don't get much past the title and the titles are the clever cleverest bits about them you know i should have known better is a is a vocal is a lyrical hook as well as a melodic one isn't it you know it's it gives you something to revolve around while still doing a variation on the various i love you yes i do hey 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 (laughs) you know so um i'm gonna give it 39 for lyrics which gives it 43.7 overall and it's not to be down on it paul it's not to be down on it but there are (laughs) you're defensive aren't you yeah they're just certain tracks that um they just sit in that space for me, you know. They sit in that kind of, oh, yeah, I like this. But I don't, when, when you examine them against the skip, well, especially a hundred odd songs in, you're like, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's where it is, what it is on the scale. So. so anyway, with that in mind, let's move on. Next, no reply. Tried to telephone, they said you were not home. That's a lie. Cause I know where you've been. I saw you walking your door. I nearly died. I nearly died. Cause you walked hand in hand with another man in my place. No reply, Paul. I don't know if I should say anything now, really. I just had a feeling you were going to do that and I ruined it by, yeah. by laughing before you could leave the gap. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Right, anyway, no reply on the Beatles for Sale album, which comes out in December of 1964. So it's their Christmas offering. Okay. Uh, this, what? I said, okay. As <laughs> um, you said it in such a quick way, it frightened me. It was recorded on the 30th of September 1964, so one session. And yeah, it's... I feel like you're a long way from like a hard day's night by the time you get to the end of 64 and this sort of song. Yeah. But you're not, but you are. It's, mm. it's Beatles in, in progress somewhere. Don't know necessarily that they know what their roadmap is at this point. Mm. Beatles for sales, fascinating album. And this is a fascinating song on it. 
But yeah, it's. I think it's an odd one. Yeah, I mean, you say they've recorded it in one session. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was thinking, because um, I've just re-listened to Anthology, or I'm still re-listening to Anthology, and um, there's a lot Which of this. Which has got two versions of this on it. Yeah, but I think the versions are just because they keep on singing um, your face for every line and making themselves <laughs> yeah, laugh. Yeah, it's my favourite thing. About, <laughs> the problem with this song is that all I can think about when I hear it now is is just them saying your face in all the wrong places. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's and then just cracking up. Yeah. But, um, if I sing along to it while the record's on, I sing your face wherever I can. <laughs> but um, I, I've always loved the explosive bridge slash chorus in this, whatever you want to call the... I guess it is the chorus that, you know, I saw the light bits, you know. Yeah. And and up to that point, it's a sweet kind of R&B ditty, you know, and then suddenly you get those big boom, I nearly died sections, you know. It's really catchy and big. I think it's a really good good tune, this. Um, but I think I know what you mean, is that they're still working in the kind of framework of that R&B sound that they've come, at, come from. But and it's sort, of, it's sort of butting up against a folk sound as yeah. well, um, and that's that's an interesting thing. And I like I quite I'm quite fond of the mid eight section too with the with the um well, it's quite a long mid eight section I think it's a double double kind of length not more like a mid sixteen with the hand claps and the piano pushing it along and the the doubled kind of well the harmony line. Yeah, it, I like that bit. Yeah, it's, it's nice, and this is one that I find myself singing to myself quite a lot. This has got earworm ability. Um, it's nice, it's simple in the playing, but they're all doing what they need. The big symbols in the piano addition to the chorus bits are great. Even if one comes in too early on the last repeat, they hit the uh, yeah. they hit the boom splash, kind of the thing. Um, a, a beat to the boom splash. I don't know what that would mean. The crash, <laughs> the crash symbol in the bass, as I'm trying to say. Um, but I'm going to give it 53.5 for music. Uh, production. Uh, this one works really well, I think, for the acoustic feel to it, as they somehow bring it up a notch when that when the chorus bits come in. I think it's just from attack, isn't it? They just attack it in those. Yeah, that and the judicious sort of overdubs of those yeah, the extra symbols. drums and piano. Yeah. Um, the only thing is the bass is lost again, which yeah. I think keeps realizing there's so much with these early ones when there's a piano in there as well. I don't know if he's because he sticks them on the same channel. Well, it depends. So when one goes usually the bass yeah. on these early ones, the bass is locked into something else because you've only got yeah it, down you're down onto two tracks to start with four tracks you know later, and so you've only got so much space for it, and then you've got to EQ to make sure you've got it's the bass isn't wiping out the kick drum, and the kick drum's not wiping out the bass, or yeah. da, da 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 stuff like that. So, and I think it, it gets washed yeah. away a bit when the piano is all in there at the same time because once. And I think it's another reason why a lot of people do prefer the mono versions because very often it seems to cut through more. Yeah. Oh, that's it. Um, I have listened to this in mono. That was, um, I found Beatles for Sale slightly less enjoyable in mono than I did with the Beatles for some reason. Um, well, well there you go. I don't know if it was the nature of the songs because they were a little bit more, like you say, butting up against folk, so a bit more acoustic-y. And, but anyway, um, it's just one of those things. It's a bit of a shame because really can't hear it very... Like, really listening for it, thinking, I just can't... I know it's there. I can feel it's there, but I can't hear what it's playing, really. But you can in the verses, but not in the chorus or the midsection because the piano's in there. Uh, or that's, that's what it seems. So I like it, but it's not without its usual early day limitations. Is there anything you think from production you want to... It's, well, it's, a, it's a bit of a messy recording, to be honest. It's mm. uh, There's a section where, like, 15 seconds in, it sounds like there's a whole bunch of people talking in the background... If you just, uh, it's worth okay. digging in about 15 seconds and listening. 
And there's a section where it sounds like they're doing finger snaps, but they've not really committed to it. It's about a minute and 47 seconds in. It's like someone's just clicking to keep themselves in time, but that's been left on there just enough to be like, what's that? And then, like you mentioned, there's that Ringo's overdubbed bass and crash emphasis at the end. Which comes up. Which comes in one one too early. Yeah. And they just But clearly they've just left it there because it's, you know, it's the best performance otherwise. Yeah. Well... I'm giving it 46.5 for production. Um, so there we go. Um, lyrics then. I like how this song tells a story, albeit one of a jealous Lennon, possibly stalking an ex. Um, hmm. But even so, it, it conjures up to me an image of standing under a streetlight, looking back up to a bedroom window of a girl whose parents or someone just said she, she wasn't in, but then seeing a silhouette and then another silhouette appear next to it. And then it starts raining as you slink off back home in pain and anguish. You know, I get all that from this song, Paul. I've just written down your face in bold letters. <laughs> your face. <laughs> yeah. And your face. That's the that's the best thing about it. Um yeah, it's 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 got that little addition. It's a bit better in the lyrics in that it's got it's got some framing device beyond just you, ooh, yes, you, love you, you know. But um Yes, I'm going to give it 49. No, I'm going to give it 48 for lyrics. Oh, right. Okay. It's worth mentioning, though, just on the subject of this song, because I haven't mentioned it. It was originally, they wrote it and recorded it with the, and sort of planned to give it to Tommy Quickly, who was another one of Epstein's stable of stars. Okay. Um, but he didn't end up doing it. He'd, he'd done um, Tip of My Tongue, which was a Lennon McCartney song. But Tommy Quickly's career didn't really go anywhere. He had a bit of a breakdown and sort of left the left the industry but yeah they'd originally written it and with the plan to give it to tommy quickly so it wasn't necessarily going to be a, a beatles song ah. I, although as we know sometimes they end up as both but you know. i might be thinking well i am thinking out loud here but i might be getting this wrong is one of the things with the different versions on the anthology that one of them doesn't have the big repeated i saw the light section going on and that well, the, the the ones on the anthology is the original demo version. Yeah, which I don't think has that that refrain no, in it. As well. it has, and it also has an un, unidentified drummer on it because Ringo had been taken ill by oh. the time they would got around to recording that. So it's it's either Jimmy Nickel or just someone random standing in okay. for, on that demo version. And you can tell it's not a very good drummer, so I don't think it's Jimmy Nickel. I think it's probably just someone who's just said, oh, yeah. I'll do it then. And... Um, yeah, so there is two different versions. Yeah, then the the other version is the one with loads of piano stuff all through it. Oh, okay. Sort of weird jazzy chords that George Martin's doing, but they obviously pull out and yeah. get rid of by the final version. Yeah, and they might might have had some ideas for this one as kind of being a bit, if they were thinking about giving it to someone else, they were working it up. But anyway, it gets 49.3 overall, but I think it's got, it, uh, you know, it had bigger potential than perhaps it, it, it got realised at the time it landed. It's good. Next... If I needed someone. Carve your number on my wall and maybe you will get a call from me. If I needed someone. If I needed someone, Paul. If you needed someone what? To tell me a little bit about the song If I Needed Someone. Oh, I can do that. Oh, good. Yeah. Rubber Soul. So we've jumped forward a year from the last song to uh, December 1965, almost exactly a year the, this comes out after the Beatles. So just coincidence. Other things happened in between. That's just coincidence. Mm. Recorded on the 16th of 18th of October 1965, and it's a George Harrison original. Yay. And where I was 
mentioning 12 strings a lot before because of I should have known better. Yeah. This is where our theme has come in, our special little link that I sort of hadn't put together until not long ago. Of course, Roger McGuinn of The Birds mm-hmm. goes to see Hard Day's Night at the cinema right. and says, oh, what's that guitar that George Harrison's playing in that scene where they do that song, I Should Have Known Better? He figures out it's a 12-string. Nice. Goes off and gets a 12-string, and that becomes the defining sound of The Birds George. as they develop their folk rock career. Yeah. What happens with If I Needed Someone? George Harrison, George Harrison says, oh, I love that song that The Birds did with a 12-string guitar on it, The Bells of Rimney. I'm going to use that technique for this song. Right. So there's a great circular thing here. So he's Harrison inspired inspi- by their by their. Harrison technique. inspired them to get the 12-string. Then, yeah. then they make this song on the 12-string and then Harrison copies sort of the technique and sound of it for If I Needed Someone. Hang on. Uh, and they saw him playing his 12-string on... A Hard Day's a Night. A Hard Day's Night. Okay, right, yes. But, uh, so they wouldn't have picked up a 12-string if it hadn't been for the Beatles. George wouldn't have written this if it hadn't been for them using a 12-string on their version uh, of the song The Bells of Rimney. And thus the circle was complete. Yeah. How interesting. Well, it's nice to be back with George and to it have is. some nice big block harmonies as well. You know, up in the first two have been had a bit of harmony, but not on this kind of scale. No, um, no three-part stuff. No, and it's got cool resonant guitars and octave spanning bass lines and a, a great riff to pin the whole thing around. It kind of plays through the guitar and the main melody. It kind of a, the guitar and the melody echo each other, don't they? Um, some nice drums and tambourine to pick up the feel in, in, the, in the second sections. Um, it's neat, and although it doesn't develop much outside of the two main sections being repeated with the vocal links, it passes a pleasant couple of minutes for sure, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. And it has got, I mean, it, it is very inspired by the bells of Rimley by the birds. Okay. I've in terms that, of, so I'm just, I can't take it into account. <laughs> well, it is, although the, this is a much cleaner sounding song yeah. to, compared to the production on the birds record. And, but yeah, it's great. It's just, it's a celebration of George's 12 string guitar yeah. essentially. And it's, yeah, it's, Great, and it's okay. the fact that they play it live a couple of times in their last sort of world tour dates is is testament to it being one that they could actually do, actually do on stage. Okay, yeah, it, you can you can hear that. Yeah, um, I like it. I'm going to give it fifty five point five for music. All the fives. Um, on to production then. So I'm happy to say I can hear the bass throughout on this one. Yeah, um, which is great because it's really good. Um. And the vocals are really nice and thick and rich, and the tambourine feels part of the song, not a acetate layer on top of it, you know? Yeah. Um, the guitars, I mean, it's the 12 string, as you've said, spread that frequency range out. So you, And you've got John on a, a Stratocaster, sort of a tremolo Stratocaster. Right. So, you get a so really, you've got a very bright sound throughout the thing. Exactly, my word, bright and crisp. Um, it's a really good, solid Beatle production. Um, is there anything else on there? Any surprises? No, literally my production note is just the word 12 string. But the mm. other thing I will say is, I, th- I think, if I'm not mistaken, they recorded this base, the backing track for this in one take. Mm. Now, that's interesting because it means that they worked it up into a good format quickly. But mm. also, does it also mean they just sort of went, oh, it's a George song. Let's get it down and well, done yeah, quickly. There's a bit of that goes on, isn't there? Yeah. 
But um, but it, like I say, it did mean that they 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 knew it well enough to do it like that in the studio, yeah. which meant that they could do it on on stage. They just nailed it, nailed it yeah. first time. No, it's good though. It's 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 not a very complex song once you've got into it, isn't it? It's just it's just nice. It's it's a uh, yeah. It's the instrumentation decisions. Yeah. So I've given it fifty six point five for production. If I don't know if I'd said that, but that's what I've said, and that's what I've given Righto. it. So lyrics. Um, so I can't tell if it if it is clever to to the um, to frame the song as a kind of nonchalant. Well, if I was bothered, then I suppose I'd like you. Or if it's just a bit flimsy, I don't know if it's a if it's one of those. Oh, that's an interesting take on it. Or a bit. Mm, if you were doing a creative writing course, they'd say, "Don't use such weak intensifiers." Uh, you know, um, don't make something a bit nice. Make it amazing. Don't make something. Well, if I needed someone to love. I suppose, you know, it's a got it's a bit like his other classic non-committal anthem. You like me too much, and I like you. Like, you, you know, yeah. It's not overly dramatic or romantic. It's not kind of going full on. It's just so so. But then um, carving numbers into a wall is a bit of a left turn. And is that I've got some faint memory of that being a an anecdote, or was that? I don't think so. Um, nothing I can find, as far as I, I'm aware. It's you know it's essentially it's a song for Patty Boyd, but it's it's typical George. It's not quite the the whole hog like you say. It's mm. it's slightly weary Georgisms. Uh, yeah, if I needed someone, it's like, <laughs> it's not the most romantic thing. Yeah. yeah, but especially for a man who then later goes on to try and destroy his own ego in, in the cause of of you know enlightenment. spiritual enlightenment yeah, yeah. you know so this if i needed someone is a bit sort of self-centered isn't it and it's yeah. so it's it's all part of the complex nature of george being george yeah i tell you what though if someone carved their number in my wall they'd get a call from me demanding they've paid to redecorate it oh yes uh, yeah um so it gets what's them told yeah it, it gets what appears to be the average score for george's early lyrical efforts of, of um 40 which kind of jo- joins "Don't bother me" and "I like you too much" in that kind of score range, because <laughs> they're kind of that just those yeah. early Georgie things, you know. They're they're harmless, but they they're also just a bit whatever. So yeah, so overall it gets fifty point seven still. So that's good. Next, then we have chains. Chains, my baby's got me locked up in chains. And they ain't the kind that you can see. Oh, these chains are my blood. Got a hold on me. Yeah. Chains, Paul. Chains, Gary. It's another George number, but in this case, it's George singing the lead on a cover version from their very first album, Please Please Me. Mm. 22nd of March 1963, recorded in that mega session on the 11th of February 1963, which was, as we were recording it yesterday, 50, however many years ago, 57 years ago. Does that sound right? No, that doesn't sound right. I can't do sums. Don't worry about it. Uh, Long time ago Many years past. Oh, so long ago. I really can't do numbers. Anyway, it's from Please Please Me. It's a cover version of a song that was originally released by The Cookies, a mm. uh, female vocal group, which is, you know, an R&B group. For them, it went to number six on the R&B charts, got to number 17 in the Hot 100. Quite a popular song, apparently, amongst the bands on Merseyside. 
and presumably in the other sort of places that were R&B hotspots as well. And it's a bit of a what's George going to sing on on this album? Yeah. Song. Yeah. Is this, is this the only song singing on Please Please Me? Uh, no, because it's got uh, Do You Want to Know a Secret on there. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, th- yeah, this is one I've not listened to that much or rather not registered with me that much, I guess. Because, like, Do You Want to Know a Secret? I know that one. I can tell you that one. But this one, I'd, I, yeah. I had to listen to it and go, uh, yeah, I think I've heard it a bit. So um, it's got a nice swing to it. Solid R&B cover again, establishing their credentials. Like you say, first album, This Is Us. This is the kind of thing we like. So helping to frame themselves for the audience. The elements are all there, the close harmonies, the solid rhythm, the energy. But I haven't got much else to say about it. They sort of frame it in a slightly more country-ish way, don't they? Mm. Than than straight ahead R&B, which would be a bit groovier. Yeah, suppose, but, yeah. but then it's a George song, so George doing rockabilly country type stuff is not surprising. No. Yeah, it's 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 good. <laughs> I don't know, there's not much to say, not much else to say about the music, so it's going to get 48 for music production. Um, I think it's nicely captured. I mean, this is so. This is that that monster session, isn't it? Again, the, yeah, the yeah. Please please me. So again, would this just have been basically getting them more or less a, the best take of a pretty much live recording? Yeah, something like four or five takes. I think they did of this and and picked one of them, possibly the last one. I can't remember. It's off the top of my head. Very tight and well balanced for something done in that way. Well, it is. Although I noticed for the first time in doing my research for this, and it's stupid really that after. You know, so many years listening to these records so mm. closely, I'd never noticed until I'd done some research and someone had pointed it out. There's a c- clearly a massive electrical fault on George's guitar or one of the guitars on the recording. Is there? So, so about a minute in, a minute and one seconds, you suddenly hear loads of like, well, you know what it's like when you have a guitar with a faulty socket. Mm, yes, I do. And things start to cut out. Yeah. Uh, and so, if you wiggle it a little bit, it might come back. That happens in this song, and it's still there on the record. <laughs> You know, yeah. uh, okay. Uh, again, I like yourself. I've listened to this about two or three times to to make my notes, and I never didn't catch that. But, yeah. Uh, so they get away with it, I guess. If yeah, well, if I've been listening to this song for yeah. decades, and I've I've never noticed it until this week. But um, oh well, okay. I don't know whether. And that's why I like doing this. You see, because yeah, it gets... I like finding these things. Oh, good. I'm glad you're getting something from it, Paul. <laughs> yeah, this song is faulty. Yeah, no, it's. Um, I don't know whether to, to to punish it for for something I've not heard it. So I'm going to keep with my original score, which is um, yeah, that I thought it was very tight and well um, and balanced well. It gets the simply delivers everything it needs without bells and whistles. Score of fifty one. Um, because I think for something that's just a live take, you know, their first yeah. album, you just think, blimey, you, you know, that's not bad. So. Lyrics, no lyric score, so that gives it 33 overall. Yeah, I would encourage everyone to go and listen to the Cookies version because it's quite different. Okay. It's got a sort of weird, like, loping R&B groove with the sort of saxophone parts on it. Uh, but to be honest, the better version of this, I think, is the one on Live at the BBC for the Beatles. Okay. So right. um, that's uh, probably where more people have heard it, I'd have thought. Yeah. Yeah, possibly. Um, right then, well, we're on to our last one already, um, which is Tell Me What You See. If you let me take your heart, I will prove to you We will never be apart if I'm part of you 
Open up your eyes now Tell me what you see It is no surprise now What you see is me Tell me what you see, Paul. Right, well, there's my computer in front of me. <laughs> I just knew it. There's two speakers. One's got a stuffed owl with a little university hat on. Oh. The other one's got a bust of Megatron on it. Uh, in the distance, there are some... That's I'll enough stop. now. That's I'll stop. <laughs> okay. You are in a cave. You can see. <laughs> Flashlight. Anyway, go go north. Inventory. Sorry. Feed the, <laughs> feed the um, snake... To the albatross. That's not right, is yeah. it? Yeah. It's yeah. Sorry, we've just gone back at a text-based adventure games <laughs> territory there. Feed the snake to the albatross. Yeah, this. Uh, well, that's one from the BBC Basic. I can't remember. Right. Well, let's leave that hanging. Feed the albatross to the snake, isn't it? That's that. That makes more sense. I I don't know. Mongoose. Oh, I, sorry, I panicked. Right. No, there's on. a mongoose in <laughs> Scott Adams. Uh, yeah, mongoose. That's it. Pirate adventure, which we've had on the Commodore Plus Four. That we couldn't get past. We had to do something with yeah. this mongoose, and we had no idea what it was. Yeah. We still it don't. Was, it wasn't really in our experience. What do you do with a mongoose as a you know a? I still don't think I've known. Four and a seven-year-old in Yorkshire. Yeah. Anyway, what on earth? <laughs> we haven't this often. We don't often detour from the uh, the main point, but. Dare I say it, some of the tracks this week have been a little bit album-y. <laughs> well, to be honest, we've had, this is, like I've said, we have this interesting thing where way themes crop up or things mm. like big numbers turn up or we find yeah. things that link between songs. And that thing about the 12-string guitar and that weird cyclical thing of of Hard Day's Night and No Reply, and not No Reply, it's just what's on the screen in front of me at the moment, mm. um, if I needed someone. But random nature of these things sometimes we're going to get a little block of yeah just kind of album tracks aren't yeah. we that aren't particularly you know ones that blow anyone away for all we know next week we could get side b of sergeant peppers almost you know and be like yeah yeah so yeah so that's we shouldn't we shouldn't worry but it does has led us into text-based adventures from the <laughs> commodore c16 anyway let's get on with tell me what you see right this is on the Help album, which comes out in August of 1965. It's recorded on the 18th of February 1965. It's a McCartney number. Mm-hmm. It's got some interesting uh, electric pianet sounds on it. Mm-hmm. John's using his uh, Strat again on it. So there's another link back to to if I needed someone, if you look another little link. He's using the same guitar on both. And... Yeah, and then I run out of stuff to say really about this. It's and it makes me sound like I don't like it. I do like this song. I like the Help album. I think it's a strangely programmed album. Mm. The B side of it particularly feels a bit like stuff has and been some, and, just yeah. shoved in there. And some more songs, kind of. Yeah. Thing. So and this is one of those ones. So it it doesn't have the best presentation. Yeah. In terms of how you. Re- get to it i found funnily enough that there's a bit of there's echoes of kind of chains in this one having just listened to chains before then obviously went to listen to this one in the at least in the opening part of the verses it's got similar feel to it i thought oh right um also it got a bit of no reply in that as a big it has a big vocal refrain style chorus that where you know rather than having a, a complete chorus you have a section at the end of a verse that's kind of a 
built around a big vocal explosive kind of hook. Do you know what yes. I mean? So this was the same as it gets to the end of its verses and then it has the tell me what you see and then the little organ pianette thing going and then it carries on. So um, I think it's got, you know, maybe there's a theme there. I'm just trying to draw some links. Um, mm. Yeah, so maybe the random pick this week has themed itself with kind of R&B, close harmony stuff, albumy stuff. Um, maybe we've fed enough data into this now for it to become self-aware. And when this is all over, my spreadsheet will simply beam the appropriate Beatles song directly into my mind at exactly the right time. Well, there you go. We then. can but hope. Um it's hey. less terrifying than the thought of what Spotify is doing. With it. <laughs> Apparently, it's going to be listening via your microphone to the ambient sounds of your room in order to generate playlists and suggest material really? based on what it thinks your mood is and whether you're in company, which is terrifying and horrible and intrusive, and I hope they don't do it. No, I, yeah, and it's kind of hard to think what kind of sense of ambient mood are you going to pick up from a room unless you, there's only going to be so many triggers that can kind of... Yeah. It, let's not get into that. Um Anyway, we're getting off the point again. Yeah, it's no biggie, this one. It's nice. It's a catchy melody. Some nice bits of pianet and drum. I'm going to say cha-cha type bits, you know, at the end of the... Piano. Yeah, it's got a sort of Latin feel because they've got the, the yeah. claves and the guiro on there as yes, well. Yes, they have, yeah, that, those percussive bits. Yeah, they're nice. Um, gives it some variety. So 48.5 for music. Production, my first note is that I like the guiro and the woodblock bits. Cool. Um, uh, that they're building a nice backing along with the tambourine. Again, the vocals are great. The use of organ in the transitions is is a nice um, touch, which lead to a little push in the drums. And that again, that cha-cha feel that I've just spoken about. But that's the same things I pretty much said for music. Uh, what else is there for production? There isn't much, I don't think, really. It's The main thing is that they're using that pianet that crops up on, on a couple of tracks on the Help album. Yeah. I like that they've given Ringo that like sort of needlessly heavy, super heavy bit in the song where he yeah. just does the the end breaks for those sections where it's to the point where it feels like the mics are distorting a little bit through him being suddenly really heavy, Yeah, uh, which I do like. One thing I will say from a production point of view, and I think I wonder if this came up at all, I can only speculate, there's no, no way of knowing. Mm. It feels at times like it's too low for McCartney to sing it. So Paul sometimes feels like it's going really right down the low end of his register and it doesn't mm. seem... I think even if it had been up like one tone, it might have been a bit snappier and it made it a bit better for his voice. And I, yeah. that's the sort of thing I would have thought that George Martin might have said, why don't you try it in... What key is it in? It's probably in G or something, but if mm. try it in A or something like that. And um, But they don't. And so it's, yeah, it's... yeah. It's just a, a, bit, a bit of idle speculation on my part. Yeah, interesting point. Interesting point. Um, I'm giving it 52 for production, though. It's, just, it's then, fine. Yeah, it's fine. And it's, But I do think the little... Um, we shouldn't overlook things like added percussion because they're all decisions that have to be made and they have to be recorded well and they have to be nicely put together. And that, I think it does, it does that. So, yeah, it's, it's fine. Lyrics, then. Um, it's been quite the week for slightly underwhelming love songs, um, but they're all fine, again, as is this one. It is fine in context of the song. Um, yeah. The twist on this one is that she's got her eyes closed, which never helps when you're trying to court somebody. You know, if you just open her eyes and tell him what she'd see, she'd realise that what she saw was him. Yeah. Well, you know that there was in Mendips, which was Aunt Mimi's house, mm. Auntie Mimi's house, where obviously John and Paul spent a lot of time in the very early days, there was a sign on the wall, a little homily, a little... I, 
I don't know if there's any actual pictures of this in evidence of the real thing, but this this little sign was a went like this, a little Does message. It, don't tell me. Eat, love, laugh. Live, love, life. <laughs> love, eat, life. <laughs> Sorry. You well. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just people's eat, houses. Eat, love, pray. Eat, love, pray. Love, life, yeah. love, laugh, 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 love. I'm trying to think of this crap that people have written on the walls. <laughs> Sorry. No, this wasn't written. She hadn't painted on the walls okay. like those horrible things you see when you're looking for a new house and someone's thought the best way to sell this house is to have you yeah, live, love, have laugh. meaningless or, slogans or written across the entire On place. one big wall, like like <laughs> seven foot across or, oh or something about Prosecco or something. It wasn't that. It was a little sort of religious homily. Okay. So it is, however black the clouds may be, in time they'll pass away. Mm. Have faith and trust and you will see. God's light make bright your day. Oh. Which is essentially the lyrics to tell me Big what you see. Big and black the clouds may be. Yeah. Yeah, they're not They're not bad. Um, yeah. I think it's another one that McCartney's just said. Yeah, it was an album filler one I wrote. Exactly, yeah. I, I, I think, to be honest, there's a bit of a soup of these kind of songs forming in my marking scheme between the 40 and 50 mark that are all much of a muchness when you're talking about the difference between them really it's nice i like to hear it and I, it's it's a good fun one to strum along on the guitar or whatever they all are that's the thing they're, well yeah they're yeah. all amazing if you only had these if this was the level of songs if this episode and the songs in them was the level of songs that the beatles had recorded they still would have been one of the biggest bands in the world i think you know it's just that they also developed they also hit some massive high notes as well and they quite rightly with such a packed schedule pushed a lot of their energy into the songs that they knew were going to be the big hitters as well yeah yeah absolutely uh, it's only later on that they struck they, they they really got to treat the albums and got the freedom to treat the albums where every song perhaps was their next masterpiece but yeah it's great um so i'm giving it 42 for lyrics which gives it 47.5 overall so um that leaves us with nothing bothering the top 20 not even the top 50 in fact Wowzers. So, but this is this is the kind it of feels like a bit of a watershed moment that we think we knew that day was going to come, didn't yeah. we? Where where there's we've done enough now that we're going to have occasions like this where some not everything's yeah. going to be up the top end. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> but even so, currently, I mean, this is out of 110 songs. Um, Chains goes in at 102, with being a cover. Um, I should have known better at 86. Tell me what you see goes in at 83. No reply goes in at 81. And if I needed someone is at number 76, joint with you like me too much. Um, and and do you want to know a secret? Which gives you an idea of the kind of zone of those songs. Um, but, you know, that's out of 110 songs. And if they were to stay there, that would put them in the top half of all the songs they've done by the time we finish. But we just don't know. that. It's just that spread is starting to feel like Worse than it actually is, I think. Yeah. So, anyway, enough of that. Let's do a quick top 10 then, just to remind the listeners of that, seeing as there's been no changes um, elsewhere. At number 10, we have Sexy Sadie. At number 9, Lovely Rita. At number 8, Nowhere Man. Yesterday at number 7, The Fool on the Hill at number 6. Cry Baby Cry at number 5. Lady Madonna at number 4. Let It Be is number 3. And I Am The Warriors is at number 2. And Strawberry Fields Forever at number 1. Well, thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next week for who knows what. Bye-bye, everybody. Merry Beatles.